in fairness to players, if they have an idea of roughly when they're going to go in and how much you're going to play, I think you got a better chance of you know, establishing that role, that confidence. Now, I do think certain years, if you're in a maybe a rebuild year or taking over a program, you might just be like, everyone, you better be ready. You know, like <laughs> you're trying to develop some habits and being ready is definitely a habit. We tell them all the time, in the words of the godfather of soul, James Brown, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. I'm Dan Krikorian, and I'm Patrick Carney, and welcome to Slapping Glass, exploring basketball's best ideas, strategies, and coaches from around the world. Today, we're excited to welcome the head coach of Towson University, Pat Scary. Coach Scary is here today to discuss building footwork, handwork, and the details of great individual defenders, spacing absolutes, playing off staggers, and we talk turnaround seasons and set plays for role players during the always fun start, sub, or sit. It's the holiday season, and nothing says I love you to a coach in your life like giving them access to a deep dive breakdown on drop coverage foot angles in Spain, space creating slot cuts in the G League, or post flare to pin down action in the Czech Republic. Help your coaching loved ones sleep better this season with a gift card to SGTV. Give any amount that can be applied toward a single video or half or full year membership to SG+, a platform coaches are calling the best for high-level coaching anywhere. Visit tv.slappingglass.com or sign up for our newsletter at slappingglass.com to find out more today. Happy Holidays. And now, please enjoy our conversation with Coach... That's scary. Coach, our first topic we'd love to dive in with you on, we're going to go on the defensive side of the ball, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on building a defense, but we want to start from the individual side first. So building individual defenders through footwork, drilling of guys that can just guard the ball individually before we maybe branch out into more of a system. And so what are your thoughts and potential ways that you think about building better individual defenders? That's a good question. Hope I have a couple of those, you know? <laughs> i tell you what a big thing when you say that right away is, you know, when we recruit guys and then obviously in the off season, having a really good strength coach because the better they move, the better they're going to be able to defend, right? You know, the more flexible they are, explosive, agile. You can have a lot of good technique. If you can get to the quarterback, get to the quarterback. You know, we want guys that move. We do do, especially more in the summer and then spring, you know, one-on-one drills and some three-on-three drills as we continue to talk about closeouts, sprinting to gaps. We're not a force the ball, no middle, or, you know, force at baseline. We just try to stay in front. One thing I'm hoping we're going to be better at this year that I've been disappointed in myself in is hopefully we're going to play with, you know, I thought the, a big Celtic fan, I, one thing I was really impressed with Celtics last year was their hot hands. Like they were just very aggressive on the ball. Hopefully we're going to be able to do a little bit better job of that. Coach, if I could actually just stay on that for a second, because especially with guys at the college level, the balance of having them have hot hands, like you mentioned, to reach, to get a hand on the ball without, I guess, over committing and just reaching wildly, but staying connected as well. Your thoughts on that element? I think that's been a challenge for us. We're really good at 
sprinting to the gaps, being in the gaps, shutting down. We call the red zone. We tape every day, like a big step off the lane line, right under the CAA logo. We call that the red zone. And we want the ball in there on offense and we don't want the ball in there on defense. You know, I like football terms. I think it defense is a lot about a mentality and toughness. So anytime we kind of incorporate those type of things in there, we try to do that. We're trying to stay in front, not let the ball get in the red zone and force tough twos. Nothing overly complicated. I think the daily buildup of having to do it every day, whether it's shell, transition, defense, hopefully that develops the mindset, the toughness a little bit that guys know they have to do it. Coach, just following up on the handwork, is there any sort of technique you are trying to help the guys with? You know, is it more emphasizing tracing the ball or when they pick up, trying to shoot the lanes when they pick up with your hands or trying to help them how to reach properly without compromising their position? We try to close out with two high hands. I think there's always slippage. I think when you say two, as the game starts going, you get a lot of one, right? It's not good when you start getting none. We're hopefully getting the point across, you're really trying to help your teammate. Like, can you make the passer pivot? Can you make them turn away? Can you make them throw the ball a little bit higher to buy everybody some time? We always talk a lot about, you know, football thing again. Like if that guy can sit in the pocket with the ball and feel pretty comfortable, like you're not doing your job just because you're in a stance. If you're not really bothering the passer, that doesn't do a whole lot of good. Coach, I want to circle back real quick. You talked about you don't force baseline or middle or shade left or anything like that, but your focus is on staying front of the ball. I'm wondering how you got to that point. I'm sure you've thought about all the pluses and minuses of forcing a direction and how you landed on what you have. You know, we've tinkered a couple of different times of using push points or no middle. I certainly don't think that that is bad at all. The best experience I probably had Defensively, it was that one year with Jamie Dixon at Pitt, and we just stayed in front. We're aggressive, physical, we're in the gaps, and we've just tried to, we've altered ball screen coverage a little bit over the year on how we tag. Back from when I first started here, I would sound like, make it sound mundane, but really that just stay in front. Now, scouting factors in, right? Right-handed, left-handed, especially, and you know, you got to be able to shade a guy a certain way. So we do put a premium on that, and guys, retaining that stuff. And that's also the coaching piece. We talk a lot about with scouting. It's not so much what we know, it's what we can get them to retain. That's really the goal of teaching. Before we kind of maybe move on to more of like some of the system stuff you have, just with trying to make guys actually guard the ball better. And you mentioned there's some drills and there's some things that you do and working with your strength and conditioning coach, specifically with guys that just don't have it (laughs) naturally trying to fit them in to make them better defenders, guys that maybe just don't move laterally as quickly or don't want to. <laughs> you know, so have guys that just don't have that eternal drive. There's certainly some of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just thinking about those defenders as you're here in preseason, trying to get them up a level. Yeah. I'm going to jackhammer them. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to jackhammer them relentlessly. And we've got a guy on staff, Pat O'Connell, who's associate head coach who handles our defense, who's done an awesome job with our defense. We've had, you know, we've been pretty consistent at the top of our conference and field goal defense and rebound margin and, you know, just have an edge to us. We're just going to stay on them. You know, with that said, Patty does a really good job of grabbing guys individually to show film daily too. So I think that's the other, hey, look at your stance or look at your gaps, you know, different concepts. I want that was I praised like Jamie Dixon a lot from when I had the opportunity to work for him. He was very, very big 
on telling isn't teaching. If they're not doing it, then we got to figure out where we're failing. Now, if it gets to the point where a guy just won't do it, like you said, he's probably not going to play him, right? What's that old thing? You can motivate a guy by fear and playing time. And I think playing time works a little bit better. Coach, maybe just following up with, like you said, maybe we watch some film. They're just not getting a stance or I guess what are maybe some of the techniques that you as a program are trying to talk with your guys, you know, obviously the stance, but is there footwork techniques that you guys are really kind of harping on, warming up with or working on routinely weekly with your guys? Even with the strength coach this summer, like there's just certain phrases you'll hear a lot with us is like sprint to the gaps. We don't even say jump to the ball. We're constantly sprint to the gaps. So like a big piece is when you're in a stance is when the balls move, like, you know, just stay in that stance, swivel those hips and sprint to the gaps. I grew up playing for good coaches in high school and all that, youth league and jump to the ball. I'm like, you can't, if you jump to the ball, you're never going to be in help position. We also put a line right down the middle of the key and what you'll hear our guys a lot, like we're on them, you know, get to the tape, get to the tape. Now, you know, does that happen every time in the game? No, but the reality is when the ball's on one side of the floor, you better be getting pretty close to that tape if you're a decent help side team and you're trying to protect that red zone. So those are a couple of, I guess, cues visually and verbally we try to use a lot. Coach, last year's team, I know it's last year, but one of the things you guys were really good at was in transition defensively. You guys were one of the better teams is getting back and getting set. Love to pick your brain on that and how that's emphasized, especially early in the season. It's emphasized every year like crazy. Since I've been here, we'll do 15 minutes a day of transition defense. I'm going to tell you where I've tried to evolve and why last year's team, it's really good that you brought that up. Last year's team was elite in transition defense because I think of two reasons. One, we were like seventh in the country in the fewest times that the ball was taken from us on offense. And two, we were like ninth in the country in offensive rebounding. So if you're not committing live ball turnovers, and you're getting a lot more shots than your opponents, there's a good chance you're not going to be in transition defense a lot. So <laughs> the best thing I would tell you that I've learned as a coach is if you don't get put in transition defense a lot, you're better off than, than if you are. So, right, ball security and shot selection. And that also means, like, when you're in the red zone, having the ability to finish, right? You watch a lot of guys, if you don't finish in the red zone, there's a good chance you're going to pay the price down the other end. We don't have a million rules. We have a bunch of drills we'll do in transition defense. Our first thing is always sprint to the hash mark, you know, so turn and sprint. Now, our offensive rebounding philosophy is we try to send four to the glass. Our point guard always gets back. Now, once again, I think there's slippage. If you asked me if I wasn't going to send four to the glass, I'd be on the other extreme and send nobody. And I think by being an extremist, it gives you a good chance either way. So our, our big thing is, you know, sprint to the hash. And then obviously we're trying to, we say, fire out early. And can we get the ball out of the middle? That's really the thing. Because if we can get the ball out of the middle, third floor, we have a chance to establish help side. We do do a lot of our drills, like anything we do five on O, even in the summer, we're putting five on O, we'll go, we call it dry runs. So we'll go five on O back to transition defense. And we'll have coaches and managers. Then we start adding like drag ball screen, you know, just some stuff that you'll start to see conceptually. I think it's always interesting why you guys had success or why last year's team was so good at limiting live ball turnovers. You know what? It's going to sound a little weird, but like 30 years of coaching, like they're just the nicest, best group of guys I've ever been around. They cared. Like when you talked about valuing that, they did it. Now we've done a lot of work on 
Parfait Batay and my staff in particular are outstanding, what we call protection plans. So hopefully, you know, when you do get in trouble, you're using a Rondo, you're using a Pro Hop, a Nash, a Barkley. And then I thought, you know, we work a lot on advantage, disadvantage drills. That really helped our ball movement. And I think along with that, guys understand that there's some absolutes in spacing. I've had some other teams that were good. And I just don't think I coached as well on offense earlier. You know, we, we looked a little bit like we were running the ball in the mud. The year before pandemic, we had made some serious changes to offense. We came off a bad year. We were second in offense efficiency. And then throughout the pandemic, because we just didn't practice or anything. And then last year, we were first in offense efficiency. We just had a little bit higher skill level. But I think that some of the changes we've made have helped us in those areas. Coach, if I can follow up, what were some of the, you said, absolutes and spacing? Yeah, look, we want to have the corners really filled at all times. We'll mark off the corners. Like I think guys have, a, you watch film, they want to creep up, they want to creep up. And then for us, we've tried to do, like there's a couple of things you watch us play. We've really hopped on that. Our ball movement defines us and guys have bought into that. And one of the things we do is we come down the court early and we play off of staggers. And the reason we do that is, quite honestly, I think if you tell a guard he can drag, he most likely will drag. One thing about playing off of the staggers is at least three guys are touching the ball early, if not all of them, before we get into action. So guys like you know, everyone wants to touch the ball, right? Ball gives you energy. And so guys will touch it early. Then we try to hop on more, we call them ricochets. You know, some people call them different words, but like we throw it to a big and then come get it or change it. We try to emphasize more ricochets than ball screens. Not that we don't ball screen because we do. If we had Kemba Walker playing off the ball screen, maybe I would probably do more of it. I feel like we've got really guys that can move it. Multiple guys can handle it. That's part of the reason for it. But I think if guys start seeing a ball, right, that trust builds and they're more likely to adhere to spacing as well. Going one step deeper on the staggers, is that an option they have for the big to go stagger or drag, or is that something you're calling? We're not dragging initially on a made basket. We call it flow game. And I'll tell you what, like I said, the year before, like the portal stuff hit or whatever, I lost two really good players um, at the very end of April, the two all-conference sophomores, and didn't have time to replace them. We were not good. I think I was not good. We led our league in field goal defense and rebound margin and went 6-12. and That's hard to do. So obviously our offense was bad. We had to make some serious changes. And just to give you like the backdrop, started studying tape, watching film, we're having all kinds of talks. Matt Matheny, who's now at Davidson, was the head coach of Elon in our league. And I just thought his offense was really difficult to prepare for. I've told this to Matt because we had a bunch of talks with him. And he said, I don't think your players were great, but I thought you were really hard to play against. Like he really coached those guys. So we started watching more tape on Davidson. Tennessee with Coach Barnes, and that's how we got into the staggers. We've kind of tried to evolve it a little bit from there, but that was kind of the impetus behind Like We need to make some change. The thing I like about now is our guys have an identity. They understand that the guys in the program are telling the younger guys coming in, this is how we do it, and I'm very confident that that's going to stick. With the staggers as you're coming down, I know there's always slippage, so ideally it's the corner, like where are you trying to get those screening areas? You know, if the guy's not all the way in the corner, is, is it more important just like we get the staggers and get someone coming up free? You answer right. There is slippage. We hop on scoring cuts and scoring screens, scoring cuts, scoring screens. So waiting for the screens and getting them as deep as possible. And then really like using our scout team, coaches, managers, walk-ons, like we know like Northeastern, 
Delaware. So they're going to try to switch all that stuff. And we have some counters to that that we're trying to work on that stuff now. You know, we try to watch the tape, what people are going to try to do to, to affect those things. And then the big guy, the rim runner, the first guy down the floor, that's like the grayer because anytime we want that guy to really post or get out. And that's where the slip is like, what are you doing? And let me tell you something for us, we can throw it in every time right to the red zone. <laughs> so let's throw it in there. And, you know, that's a high percentage shot. That's part of it too. So, coach, maybe just to transition back. No pun intended, but when we were talking about transition defense and offensive rebounding just a few minutes ago, you threw something out there I thought was really interesting. You talked about the value of being an extremist as a coach. I would just love to ask a little bit more on that as to kind of how you landed on that as far as, hey, sending four, zero, and why that helps in teaching concepts. Well, you know, I thought like I've always been around teams that offensive rebound that work for good coaches that way. So then when I got here, I don't, you know, we lost 31 games my first year, and we literally we had the worst field goal percentage and three-point field goal percentage in the country. So we just literally throwing it at the rim and going after it. And it's been an identity. Like last year, we could really shoot the three, but we also offensive rebounded. So that made this obviously difficult to guard. I just feel like when you know that we're coming, you know, that's a concern for the other team. So are they able to block out? And I think that helps our transition defense. I also think like if I was on the other side, I wouldn't send anyone because I'd just be like, all right, hey, let's be committed to either making that shot and making sure we're back. I mean, transition defense, I think for me, and the longer I've coached, the more I'm like, it's just so crucial. That's the one area like I'll go crazy on guys like, you know, timeouts. If we give up a layup or it's like, what are we doing? Like, Or like if we do that with the ball or we take that shot, like we're done. We, you know, most of our drills in practice, it's minus three for a live ball turnover. Parfait on my staff has each team, you know, black and gold, right? Three black balls. They're like outdoor balls, three gold balls. And every time there's live ball turnover, we lose a ball. And then first time after three, stop the clock. That team has to plank for 30 seconds. If it happens again, that team now planks for 60 seconds. Can't run guys anymore. You know that, right? They file complaints against Jerry. Uh, you know the uh, the National Association of whatever. You know what I mean? All that stuff. Yeah. Look, and I've done all that stuff. Get guys up in the morning, and I don't, we don't do any of that stuff anymore. We try to get good guys in the classroom. Says, what if they don't go to class? They're probably not going to be here after the year. Or they're probably not going to finish the year. So, but we're done with all that other, other stuff. You know, Coach. When sending four to the glass, I mean, we've all done a lot just looking at tagging up. Is there any sort of rules or guidelines you're giving those four guys to for sure have a chance to get the offensive rebound, but also be in position to get back? One will hop, get off the block outs, really guess right or guess left. You know, just go. The only area we do talk to them a little bit about, we give Kevin Clark and my staff kudos for this, is we try to encourage them when they're coming in the baseline, don't come underneath the backboard a lot. That's the one area you, when you don't get it, now you're behind everybody. Coach, my last kind of technical question on this transition and defensive segment has to do with the pickup points in transition and your offensive rebound, you're sprinting back, you're getting to the hash like you mentioned, but where would you like the ball ideally picked up in transition? Yeah, I mean, like, can you get it at the jump circle? You know what I mean? And start. The hard thing is the higher you can pick it up, probably the more likely you got to get it out of the middle. You know, that's really my big thing. How do we get it out of the middle? If that ball stays in the middle, we're dead. And, you know, it's always hard a lot, too. The safety is usually the point guard, usually a smaller guy, right? So he's back. 
and then he's taking a pitch. He's trying to fire out. If we can't get that ball out of the middle, he's like being attacked by storm and buffaloes, right? That's when all these bodies are coming down the floor. And he, you know, so we've got a good young player. We're trying to get him there. That you got to get out earlier and try to get that ball to a side, and then the other big coming back can be the funnel, and we can really try to you know corral that ball to the side of the floor. And that was going to be my just quick follow-up is you mentioned trying to get out of the middle of the floor. That big has to help you do that. We call that a funnel. And there's also that if he's up high, that puts him in a good position to hedge those drags. And we'll certainly work on that. You know, best way I tell you we work on, we do do some like defensive buildup and especially in pre-practice. But the best thing is we'll do five on O back to transition D. They're coming at us, you know, a couple coaches, walk-ons and we're going to play right off the drag and try to build that habit there about firing out, getting that thing out of the middle and really not letting them cut the court. That's where the trailer defensively is to help corral that ball. With the transition defense and sending four to the glass, do you find you're in a lot of like mismatch situations or scrambling in transition to find matchups? I hope not. I don't think so. You know, it's a good question. We've never really quantified that. So I don't know if I could say that to you statistically. I just feel like we're going to that class and, you know, force a will. And, but I also would tell you like every team in our schedule can beat us, but I feel pretty confident that if you called someone that's played us, they would say, yeah, we beat them, but that was a war. Part of that's the same mindset. Like we're coming. We'll have a lot of timeouts and glass. I'll be like strength coach. Do we left? Like, have we ever left? Like, what are we doing? There's got to be a spirit. There's got to be an identity to us. That's what we do. Now, we don't do as many live rebounding drills, not to digress, but as we used to, mostly because I've gotten worried about injuries and the length of the season. You know, I've had a couple of guys go to practice and like, what are you doing? Like, we used to do some, probably some bone-on-bone rebounding drills that probably weren't sensible. And we've gotten a little bit wiser now when we do do some rebounding drills or transition drills that we, we used to do a drill where we literally had nine out of 10 guys in the lane and Pat on my staff was like, coach, when are nine guys actually in the lane? We're going to get guys hurt. And when he said like that, I'm like, yeah, you mean, yeah, you know, you should have nine guys in the lane. So we'll try to like, we're still working on taking a step, blocking out or getting off the blockouts, but more from like a game look than, you know, like you guys are younger, but I think back when I was at Rhode Island working for coach Barron, it was a terrific coach. We did some Neanderthal rebounding drills that just that used to practice six days a week. And I'm wondering, like, the respect I have for those guys now is immense. Yeah, immense. We're excited to partner with one of our favorite new analytics platforms, Hoopsalytics, a high-powered, affordable, and easy-to-use video and analytics system for coaches of all levels at a fraction of the price of some of the other platforms available. Unlike other systems, Hoopsalytics lets you create fully customizable events and sets and analyzes them for you through video link stats, interactive shot charts, and other tools. Zero programming is required. For a free trial and to receive a 25% discount on the product, visit hoopsalytics.com slash glass. That's hoopsalytics.com slash glass. And now back to our conversation. Coach, really good stuff so far. Thanks for all your thoughts on that. We want to transition now to a segment on the show that we call start, sub, or sit. So what we'll do, we'll give you three different choices here, ask you to start one, sub one, sit one, and then we'll go from there. So if you're ready, coach, we'll dive in on this. Drum roll. All right, let's do it, man. (laughs) Okay. 
coach, you've actually mentioned a couple of times about your first season as a coach. You guys lost 31 games. And this first question for Star Sub Sit has to do with the next season, the season where things started to turn around for you. And we kind of want to dive in on that season for this question here. And so this is going to be the toughest part for you and your staff, as you remember back on helping turn that season and the program around from one win to, I believe it was 18, which was at the time, it was the largest single season turnaround in NCAA history from one to- Still is, still is now. Still is, sorry. Okay, good. Thank you for- (laughs) So still is the biggest turnaround. So this is going to be the toughest part for you of that season, turn it around. So start, sub, or sit the belief for your team that they actually could win games after you know losing 31 the year before second option is just establishing and cementing your core values as a program and then the third option is eventually handling the success that you were having with a new team that second year that was now winning games after they had lost a bunch year before and handling the success you had as a program so start sober sit the toughest part of that turnaround season for you the start piece would be the core, the habits. We built those the year before. We had the exact same practices from year one, year two. The sub for me would be the belief. And then the last piece would be the sit. We didn't think we were too good for our britches because actually that year, which crazy, we started out like four and nine. So we were struggling before we got going. And then down the stretch, Luke Murray assistant at UConn was on my staff then. He came to me with like two weeks ago in the regular season. I don't know how many of you guys are a little younger remember that. Well, that was the record. We were actually banned from our conference tournament in the postseason tournament because of the academic performance rate. So we would have won a lot more games and very likely probably would have been the NBA tournament. So with like two weeks ago, Luke came in and said, coach, we win these last four. We set the record. So we went into our guys. They knew we were banned. You know, tells you how quality you guys they were. And we were like, hey, this is the sweet 16 game, baby. Game one, we won that. We were like quarterfinals. So, you know, when we got all the way to the last game, it was in our old building. We, we shut down the old South Practice Center. Now the Towson Center, there were 5,000 people strong there for that night. We didn't play great, but we played really hard. And then they just weren't going to be denied. So we didn't have enough success to get caught up in it. It came on late. For sure. Coach, I'd love to follow up with your start. So establishing the values and whatnot. And you mentioned that they were the same as you had the year before when you took over and it was a one win season. And uh, Pat and I were talking a little bit before the show about this question and you know how it could be potentially difficult to convince guys or to really embed your core principles with a team that struggled so much the year before and was that something for you that was difficult or were they just things that you knew would eventually work and you just had to believe in them i mean i look at sports are humbling right i was on a staff that won 30 games at Pitt, number one seed in the tournament to losing 30 games i mean my overall record still paying the price from that first year you start 31 games under 500 that's a bear and then you set a record your third year that still exists what I have learned from that is it's habits, you know, like we got to have good habits every day. I would say unequivocally, the biggest difference from year one to year two is I had a guy sitting out named Jarrell Benjamin, got a cup of coffee in the NBA. So talent is absolutely still a baseline more so than anything that Pat Scary did. That's one. But what I did learn the first year was we had the same practice year one to year two. We didn't buckle. We never came in the first year and said, hey, I know we lost 21 in a row. Let's keep our head up and let's talk about our feelings. Now, 
bullshit. We went after it every day the same way. And, you know, we thought like late, we knew we had a couple guys sitting out, but like late in the year, like I saw people at my first game in the CA, we lost to Drexel. They had the best team in the league that year. Bruiser Flint was the coach. First CA game, everything was 62 to 27. They beat us and it wasn't that close. And with about a week to go in the regular season, we played them at home. We lost five or six. We lost, you know, no moral victories, but there are sometimes moral victories. You know, you left saying, we're not very good, but we're getting better. And then that carried over. Like there was at least an understanding of this is what it's going to be like every day. Like I had a kid that did a great job for the first year at point guard. And I remember he came in one day. He's like, come see us dressed up. He's like, I can't practice. Uh, I lost my toenail. And I was like, yeah, you're practicing. We only had like seven, seven. I mean, you're practicing. He's like, what about us? You got to play 40 minutes. I mean, so you have practice. So like, we just kind of went into it. Like, you know, you kind of know what you don't know at that point that I know I was going to leave Pitt and I didn't know I was going to have a postseason ban. I certainly didn't know we were going to lose 31 games, those things. So going through it, I mean, it certainly has aged me. I've had both hips replaced. I've had my thyroid removed. I mean, you know, they've gotten blood from a stone here at Towson. Well, I can tell you that. <laughs> but it has made me, I don't know if fearless is the right word, or naive or brain dead. But we're going to have a little bit of fight to us here. Coach, tactically, especially when you're with your staff, when you're going through a first season, when you're doing a lot of losing, and, you know, maybe then the second season, you start, like you said, a little rough. That fine line between maybe changing course, what you're doing tactically versus digging in, knowing like this is the right way. We just got to get better at it. As you try to find solutions for your guys, help your guys on the court, but you also don't want to present like, hey, every week we're trying something new because, you know, it didn't work. So year two, our first game, they weren't in our league yet, was at College Charleston. They actually were buying us, you know, goodbye. This lost 31 games. And we thought we had a chance to be good that year. And halftime of my second year game one, we were down 25 at the half. That was my really big moment where I was like, oh my God, what have I done? I remember coming out of that. I think that's probably when we just started saying like, stay in front, you know, just guard it, get it, like, just try to like grind to that. But that was the one time I was like shocked. I thought we were going to be good. And, you know, we just weren't. Sometimes it just takes a little time. I mean, like, you know, we're going to play Albany on our first game on November 7th. That is the Super Bowl, right? You know, good team, well coached, but we better keep getting better. Once you step outside that, you got to evaluate how your team played. There is the old saying, honor the process. You know, the best part about any team you're part of is when you see them start to get better and then hopefully they later in the year. Okay, coach, our next start subset, we call this a rolling with the role players. So with any offense, your top two, three guys, they're going to get their touches. The offense is going to come to them. But with this question, how you kind of coach up your five, six, seven guys who are going to get less touches, but are valuable and are going to have moments that you need them in the offense. So start subset the best ways you help kind of bring value to these players on the court from a tactical standpoint. Is it through just empowering them in conversations, telling them to hunt, you know, when to look for their shots, when to be aggressive? Is it maybe you'll run specific sets and you're going to call their number? Or is it expressing their value in front of the team? So mainly the guys who are your ball dominant guys know like, hey, he's a shooter. So we got to make sure when he's in, we're getting him shots or he's a cutter, put him in spots where he's going to cut. Great one. I'm going to them right away. We have another guy that's going to be like that for us this year. I'm going to him right away. Sub is the guys that are starting know that we're going to them right away. 
and then the third one and yeah, empowering them. Like, you know, hopefully they've got enough confidence in themselves that they're going to know they're good anyhow. But we're going to them. We've been fortunate here, man. We had, you know, Nick Timberlake was sixth man of the year first couple of years ago. And Johnny Davis came off the bench for us and was third team all conference off the bench. And so was Raphael Guthrie, third team all conference off the bench. So we've had kind of proven, you know, six men where when they come in, we're going to go to those guys and try to change the game up a little bit. I like what you said. They're changing the game up. So maybe this has to do with your sit with just their conversation, but expressing the desire that, hey, when you go in, we want you to change the game up or we're going to specifically start running actions for you. So how do you help them prepare or how do you put them in that mindset so they come in and like, you know, just that aggressive mindset knowing, hey, we're going to feed you, try to change the game up? Yeah, I think talking about it first and then doing it in practice, you know, on misses, we run flow game, but on a free throw, timeout, dead ball, made basket, we're usually running a special and, you know, we have an idea of either through scouting or just kind of our money plays where this is what we want to run to get this guy a touch. Coach, you just mentioned, you know, misses flow game and then, you know, a set on a make or an ATO or something like that. But going back to like maybe the first play of the game or first play of a half for one of these role players, without getting too specific on these pet plays that you have, is it you like to test coverages? You like to get balls to a spot? You like to just, you know, is there something specific you like to do to get the ball to those guys to get them a look? Yeah, more like where do they come to with the ball? You know, what's good for them? You know, like it gets in their hands. They know this is kind of my play, my area. Let them go to work, you know? Sure. And then bench players, obviously, if they have it, when they enter the game, how aggressive do you want them to be offensively? Yeah, I think it depends on the guy. Like I envision us this year having a one high-powered offensive guy or two, and then two pretty good guys that are going to really shore up the defensive ball security. I think like anything, part of coaching is making sure you're helping guys understand those needs and roles you're establishing. And then we do really try, and I'm a big phone call and texter of my guys at night, trying to let them know how much you appreciate the value that they are bringing that, that impacts winning. Coach, with bringing guys off the bench, are you going to try to establish a consistent routine, at least maybe in the first half, so your bench players can also prepare themselves knowing that, hey, at this minute mark, I'm usually coming in? Yeah, with this team, yeah, last year we did. and We had a lot of guys miss games for illnesses, but we did the best we could. I think I've had a couple of deeper teams that I should have coached better because in fairness to players, if they have an idea of roughly when they're going to go in and how much they're going to play, I think you got a better chance of you know, establishing that role, that confidence. Now, I do think certain years, if you're in a maybe a rebuild year or you're taking over a program, you might just be like, everyone, you better be ready. You know, like <laughs> you're trying to develop some habits and being ready is definitely a habit. We tell them all the time, in the words of the godfather of soul, James Brown, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. <laughs> Coach, I'd like to follow up on something you said. You had some deeper teams that maybe you wish you had coached better. And I think it is a challenge. You know, everyone likes to have great depth, but that also comes with a lot of challenges. So as you look back on your deeper teams, I guess, what were the challenges that, you know, if you had a redo, you would like? Yeah, I probably would say probably, you know, good players. So you're trying to get them all in there and talk about our depth. In the reality, you probably didn't keep everyone happy that way either. So it might have been better served of playing one, one and a half less guys. Maybe that guy just gets a little bit better. And the guy, maybe, you know, there's still a couple of guys unhappy with him, <laughs> but that's going to be normal anyhow. Well, coach, we got one more start subsit for you. This last start subsit has to do with traits you would want your 
leaders to have when you want them to lead by example? The start here would be the one you most would want them to have. So start, sub, or sit, lead by example traits. First one is grit. The second one is great energy as a player and as a person. And the third is competitiveness. Competitiveness, grit, energy. I just think, you know, I mean, I want guys that are competitive in everything we do. You know, guys that play really, really hard and play to win. And with younger guys that come into your program, I'm always interested, like you want guys to come in as freshmen or whatever it is, it'd be ultra competitive, but sometimes they're just not the level you need them to be. I know there's ways probably as coaches and a staff to get them there through drills and jackhammering them, like you mentioned earlier on stuff. What do you expect from your senior or your more mature guys on the team to help bring up the level of competitiveness for younger players? Yeah, it was funny. We just talked about that today with really good guys, Tim Lake and Thompson and Holden about You've got to dominate that guy on the court and dominate him. But then you got to make sure you're putting your arm around him afterwards, letting him know he is getting better and that when his time comes, because I believe every right now I have a team, I think they all are going to have their time at some point to really do that. That's exciting. You will be ready when your time comes because of the competitiveness that you played with and played against every day. Coach. When me and Dan were talking about this, just within that competitive nature, how much or how little maybe plays into the guy being not afraid to confront teammates? Yeah, a lot. Sometimes I've got great case studies with that, like right now. So like Holden and Timberlake are, I mean, great guys, but they are really good players because of how competitive, nasty, surly that they are. And then I have the other end. Gibson and Thompson are really competitive and they would find the positive in a serial killer. They're the nicest <laughs> guys ever. So it's very interesting as we try to, we've got two totally different dynamics. You don't want guys to change who they are, but also they got to do a little more to help with leadership. So we had a scrimmage on Saturday and we weren't great early and Holden and Timberlake, who are best friends, were just getting all over each other in the huddle. They blew the whole huddle up. I didn't say anything because I'm like, we're going to be really good. Like we hope they're going to have to figure it out. And then about halfway through the tirade, Charles Thompson said, maybe stop laughing. He said, guys, this is not helping. (laughs) 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 And uh, it kind of, I think that moment describes who we are. We're certainly not perfect, but we've got guys that are very competitive in their own way. And we just got to be mindful of that. That's all. I think with coaching, you're always an amateur psychologist. So yeah. Your decision not to intercede there when they were blowing up that huddle. And, and like you said, it's something they need to work out. But I guess balancing like it's a healthy, they need to work it out where it's like, oh, okay, this is too far. That's an unbelievable challenge. I've made mistakes at other times, especially when I was younger. Body language, that kind of stuff drives me crazy. And I will blow up huddles or attack guys if I feel the need to. I have unbelievable respect and appreciation and trust with this group. So, you know, first of all, like for me, right? We won 25 games in our first regular season title, and they all came back. That doesn't happen a lot anymore. So because they came back, I really appreciate them. It also tells me they came back because they want to try to do more. Mm -hmm. So just because they're venting or going off, you know what I mean? Like they're in it for the right reasons. Three of them made all league. There's no jealousy. Like, cause I still, my wife, they, they all came back. They know the odds of one of those guys being. 25 point of games, so it's probably not good because they got the other guys. Sure. Mm-hmm. 
there's a mutual respect and enjoyment of playing with each other. So, I mean, we know what the pressure is and all that stuff and the goal. I'm like, also, man, doing this a long time, it's really refreshing to just see that type of camaraderie and spirit amongst each other, you know? Coach, maybe it's an impossible question, but test tube it a little bit. If this same incident kind of happened after your first season, after 30 losses, how would your response have been different when you saw that going on? Look, I make the most mistakes because I make the most decisions. I mean, I made thousands of them, you know. One thing I don't do, I don't like talk to the team. I give you a quick story, right? I've always tried to bring in a coach or two who's out for a year and watch practice for a couple of days and then, you know, talk to the team staff and then give me some like, what do you see and all that. And so my you know, first couple of years, I'm you know, talking after the games, I'm jackhammering these guys a lot, you know, whatever, you know, and I brought uh, Kevin O'Neill in, who's a terrific coach, NBA head coach. And this really resonated with me. He told me after the games, don't ever talk to them. Just hmm. bring it in, get your, you know, whatever you get, your food, your drink, get the tape, go home, shower, eat and watch the tape. And so I was like, why? You know, I haven't done that. He says he's at Northwestern and he had a million dollar bonus. I'll never forget the million dollar bonus if they made the NCAA tournament. And he said back then that million was like unheard of. And they lost something like three or four games in a row on the last second possession. And he told me the last one, all he could think was they go a million dollars. Said he went into the locker room and he jackhammered Carney from head to toe. And then he left the locker room and said, put in the last play. They lost like an out-of-bounds play. And he said, Carney wasn't even in the game. And I was like, come on. He goes, I said, what'd you do? He goes, I called Carney. I apologized to him. I apologized to the team. And I realized you're not really in the right frame of mind to immediately talk to them after the game. Now, the next day after I watched tape and talked to staff and we met, you know, that could be a different kind of meeting or film session. But so now I do. And I've also realized after wins, if any AU coaches listen to this, the one thing I love to change AU, please stop the post-game meetings outside. The guys don't retain anything at that point. Our guys, after we win, you know what they want to do? They want to get food, their phone. They want to see their family. They want to see their friends. And they don't want to hear from Pat Scary. Coach, really good advice there. You're off the start, sober, sit, hot seat. So thanks for playing that game with us. That was a lot of fun. You're welcome. Really appreciate your time today. Uh, we're looking forward to watch your team play. So thanks for joining us. Well, I appreciate it too. It's exciting what you're doing and I appreciate it. And I'm one of those guys that, you know, you, you never want to turn down a basketball opportunity. So this is awesome. Thank you. Thank you, that, Coach. Appreciate that. What's the best investment that you've made in your career as a coach? I guess this is the right answer. My old man's motto to me is not to size the dog in the fight, to size the fight in the dog. Just try to invest in Work ethic, not being easily discouraged, just trying to grind through it. Don't be afraid of the work. I guess in some ways that's better on yourself. Absolutely. Coach, maybe one quick addition here as we close the show. I know you've done a lot of work with autism awareness in college basketball and things like that and bringing that to the forefront. I wonder if we could maybe close this, talk a little bit about that and potentially making people aware of the things that you do with that as well. Yeah, I've got a son that's on the um, autism spectrum. Owen, a decade ago, we got a clever idea. We did something on campus. It worked out great. And then we figured out, oh man, I I was wearing a blue puzzle piece pin and started figuring out how many national TV games there were in February, then got all the rock stars to win it. And then we got a lot of help from Autism Speaks and the NABC. So I don't want to take too much credit for just a clever idea that we had. Honestly, now I'm a little bit down on myself and frustrated because we've got to figure out how to make it better, right? A lot of guys aren't wearing the 
jackets now, so I still am. So what do we do with the pins? How do we get that noticeable? I'd love to get a game like Coaches vs. Cancer. We've never been able to get a sponsor with that. So we got to figure out. It's been a good idea. We have brought a lot of awareness to it. But now I feel like, gosh, we got to figure out how to make it better. But it was just a clever idea by myself and the guy Tom Herrian, who Tom was a coach of Marshall. And you know what I, I would say, because you guys are doing this, coaches and media, when you ask them to wear a pin, 100% of them are good guys and will do that and help promote the cause. So it was appreciative of the media and the coaches that have done that. We've gotten like four or five schools doing it, all the different broadcasts. But it does help when I was really excited the first year we played on NBC Sports and beat Drexel. The first year we did it was the first year of the ACC. I think it was, that, oh, it was Bayheim versus Duke. So that was pretty cool that night going home. And when those rock stars like Kay, had the pins on people and what, what, you know, what is that so that, that piece was pretty cool thank you so much for listening to this episode please make sure to visit slappingglass.com for more information on the free newsletter slapping glass plus and much more have a great week coaching and we'll see you next time on slapping glass Do we have a name yet for this thing? I have like slapping back or <laughs> slapping glass. <laughs> slapping glass. That's kind of funny. I like that. That's good. Oh, girl. <laughs> slapping glass. <laughs> <laughs>